Welcome to the Choose Life Radio Network. Your host is Jill Taylor. Every week we bring you a candid conversation with someone who's making a difference for the cause of life. And now here's Jill to introduce today's guest on Choose Life Radio. Let's put our heads together. Think how we would start programs to prepare students and young adults to be gracious and persuasive advocates for life. I don't know that I could do that very well, but our guest today is one of those students and is now the CEO of Reprotection. Thank you for joining us today on Choose Life Radio. I'm your host, Jill Taylor, and our guest today is Missy Martinez-Stone, and she hails from Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome, Missy. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Oh, it's our pleasure. It really is. Missy, you're the CEO of Reprotection. That's quite a status. How old are you? I am almost 33. Oh, there you go. No wonder. (laughs) (laughs) I just really wanted to point out that we have a very strong young woman who's very involved, and I love that. Let's start by understanding what Reprotection is and how it impacts the lives of unborn. Reprotection is a nonprofit that helps pro-life advocates investigate and close down the dangerous abortion providers in their communities. So we directly impact the lives of the unborn because we are helping close the facilities that take their lives. So we come alongside pro-life leaders all over the country in their communities and help them look at the situation and say, how can we close down this dangerous abortion facility? How old were you when you got involved with pro-life action? Can I get a feeling for why this is a, an issue for you? I grew up on the Gulf Coast in the Deep South where abortion was never spoken about. I don't even think I heard the word or understood the concept of abortion until I was maybe 14 or 15. It was very much the culture of non-confrontation. You just don't bring up controversial things. So as a sophomore in high school, my family moved to Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. And thankfully, I was a part of a church community who was very vocal about their pro-life beliefs. There was, being right outside of D.C., there were a number of people who went to that church who were involved in the national pro-life ministries. And our youth pastor was very intentional about getting us involved in those ministries. And so as a young person, I started going to the March for Life every year because it was such a short distance for us and started volunteering with some of the groups that went to our church. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And I remember being at the March for Life and having a really impactful moment of understanding the magnitude of the injustice that we were dealing with. And it just struck such a deep chord in me that I said, this is something that I think I'm going to be involved in (laughs) for the rest of my life. It was just a very defining moment. And the issue has always resonated so deeply with me. I'm one of those people I make a decision and I stick to it. And 
I did. You know, that's really sweet. And I can't believe you started so young and that you followed that through because you you went to school, you went to got your degree in political science, and then your intent was to dedicate your life, literally, to ending abortion. You're the first, Missy. I've never met a young woman coming out of college who was passionate, had the intent of dedicating your life to ending abortion. <laughs> That's really awesome. Thank you. How have you been able to maintain over the past 10 years with your family and the things that are going on? You are now the CEO of an organization, and that's got to keep you busy, girl. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I started, I was in my early 20s when I started professionally, and the opportunities I was given were because other pro-life leaders believed in me. My first adult job out of college was for Students for Life of America. And I was grossly underqualified to do what they wanted me to do. But there were people there that I had served with since I was a teenager and knew me, believed in what I was capable of doing, and just said, okay, come on, let's do this. And so I actually started off full time as the high school court. At the, at the time, Students for Life of America was very small. This was January of 2013. There was maybe 10 employees and they were only in college campuses. And they brought me on and they said, can you take what we have and make it high school appropriate? Let's start a high school program. And I said, sure. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Wow. Yeah, I, I did it. And it makes a really big difference to be able to do the ministry that you love, do the work that you love as an actual vocation. That's really the only way that it's been sustainable for me is that this was my job. And I stayed at Students for Life for a number of years. I was eventually promoted to their national field director. I was overseeing the entire field program and helped cross the threshold into over a thousand student groups. It was exhausting. I mean, I was traveling all over the country and managing 20 regional coordinators. And so it was a lot of work, but we, I was able to do it because we had the capacity to. It was my job. And then now with reprotection, as I stepped away from that position, my family and I relocated to Louisville. The opportunity for reprotection came up. And honestly, at this point, it really comes down to the pro-life community, the people on our board, the people on our team, they put their money where their mouth is and they say, we have to be supportive of mothers and families and they give flexibility. Being a full-time working parent is tough, especially when you have little ones. But because I work in the pro-life community, there's so much grace and room to raise your family because that's where we have the, the rubber meets the road is that we have to be supportive of families. And so... There's a lot of flexibility, and I am tired. I'm not going to say I'm not tired. I am tired. <laughs> but it makes it possible to be able to do this uh, really rewarding work and be raising a family. I'm so glad you shared that. I would have never thought of talking about that, but the reality is every pregnancy center, every organization that is doing this kind of work they're under a tremendous pressure whenever they're dealing with a client, whenever they're trying to help a woman. 
understand. You know what's going to happen when you go through those doors. That's an emotional appeal. And unless it's an emotional appeal, it won't work for them. They're going to be guarded in and head in. And you've got to come up with the phrase that says, I really care about you and the child that's within or whatever your phrase is. Have you experienced that standing in front of a, uh, an abortion clinic and trying to get the attention of, of women before they go in? or I am not a sidewalk counselor, yeah. but I work alongside the sidewalk counselors and I work with victims who want to hold the abortionists accountable, which we'll get in more about when we get into the work of reprotection. But yes, it is the stories that I hear and the, the women that I talk to. I mean, it's horrific. It's horrific. And over the years, you know, I've been doing pro-life work now for 16 years. You have to be a little bit desensitized because if you carried that weight all of the time, it would crush you. It would absolutely crush you. And so I always tell people, like, especially if they're coming in to start doing pro-life work full-time, you have to build a community of encouragement, of support. You have to put up healthy boundaries because what we are dealing with day in and day out is so dark and so demanding and so emotionally draining that it can really impact you. And so every once in a while, I'll have a case where I have to just kind of take a minute because it hits you. There is a weight to it and there is an urgency. You have to have those emotional boundaries in place and a, a support network, or you could just so easily be crushed by the weight of what you're dealing with. That's the war that's going on constantly between Satan trying to steal life and God trying to give life. And it is much bigger than just the individual we're talking to or what our church is able to do. It is life. It is life that's on the line. And what you're doing ah, is training people to be able to stand up to that. Because sometimes there's just that panic that you're going to say something that I can't answer, or you're going to claim you didn't adopt any children, or whatever that is that they like to shout at you in return. That's not the issue. Whether I have adopted children or not, the issue is I would never tear a child apart and end its life like that. And what I call that is murder. So I'm sure you have bumped up against a lot of people who don't agree with you. <laughs> are, are people ever angry with you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yes. Yes. I always joke because I hate confrontation. I'm not a confrontational person. I avoid it like the plague. I've gotten a lot healthier about it. but And I just think, how did I end up in the most controversial field on the planet. But yes, a, a therapist would always says anger is a secondary emotion. And when I have encountered people who are really angry, typically what's really going on is they're hurt, they're scared, or they're ashamed. There's another message behind the anger. The anger is just the manifestation of what's really going on inside. And so what I try to do is separate what they're manifesting towards me because I'm not the problem. They're not mad at me. They are hurt because maybe they had an abortion and they are, they are in pain or 
they're afraid because something happened to them and what if abortion access wasn't available and they think their life would be over or there are these things that are going on. And so what I try to remember is like, I am not the enemy here. And this person has a story. They have an experience. There's a reason that they have picked this side. That is absolutely true about almost everything in life. And we need to adjust ourselves to say we have the strength to be able to stay there because you love them enough. We're going to take a very short break and come right back with Missy Martinez-Stone and talk more about this important issue right here on Choose Life Radio. Choose Life Radio believes that life is a sacred gift from God and should be treated as such from conception to natural death. Our purpose is to share in-depth conversations with persons who have a direct connection to the life issue. These conversations encourage, inspire, and shine the light of God's amazing grace on a lost and hurting world. Your gift today will help us continue to expand the reach of these life-affirming conversations. You can give generously online by visiting ChooseLifeRadio.com. Or you can mail your gift to Choose Life Radio, Post Office Box 36622, Canton, Ohio, 44735. That's Choose Life Radio, Post Office Box 36622, Canton, Ohio, 44735. That address is also posted at ChooseLifeRadio.com. Your gift helps keep this life-affirming message on the radio. Now let's get back to the conversation. Welcome back to Choose Life Radio. I am so glad you're joining us today because our guest is Missy Martinez-Stone. Today is your day, dear friend. If you've missed any of this fast-paced interview with Missy, I encourage you to go back to our website chooseliferadio.com and click on the picture of Missy. First of all, you can hear and share this interview with others. And secondly, you will see other interviews that might engage you or give you the power to become a warrior for life. Missy, tell us about reprotection and your responsibilities as a CEO. Reprotection helps close down dangerous abortion facilities. What came to light a few years ago is that even though states were passing pro-life laws, common sense abortion regulations just to get the abortion industry to meet the same standards as other medical facilities, depending on who was at the health department or who is on the medical board or who is in charge of regulating these standards, if they didn't agree with it, they just ignored it. So it didn't matter if we had a pro-life governor or a pro-life attorney general, if the person sitting at the health department did not agree with this abortion regulation or didn't want to deal with the abortion industry, you know, pitching a fit anytime they are regulated, they just looked the other way. So we had all of these amazing laws on the books in different states with very little enforcement. And so it was creating this situation where abortion businesses were essentially unregulated, causing them to be essentially cesspools. I mean, just attracting physicians who couldn't practice in any other situation or any other field, dirty clinics, the mistreatment of patients, and nobody was paying attention. 
And so reprotection fills that role where we come in and we use open records, we use client testimonies, anything that we can legally obtain. And we say, how are they breaking the law and who needs to hold them responsible? And then we see that process through. And the goal is to ultimately shut them down based on their own misdeeds because they're going to refuse to meet the standards. They won't. They can't. You're doing the background work or what the law says and whether they're applying that law in their facility, and most aren't. Correct. So you're training other young people to come in and do this because I think the fact that you have the youth involved, it's going to make a huge difference in the next 10 years, in the next 15 years. How do you attract those young people to be involved? Given my history with Students' Life of America, it kind of comes naturally. What I love about what we do is that it provides a place for pro-lifers that maybe aren't the ones that want to go to protest. I kind of jokingly say like calling all pro-life introverts (laughs) because there is a group of people that are passionately pro-life, but the idea of going out and sidewalk counseling is so scary. So right now you're talking to a donor of a pregnancy center somewhere who wants to provide the money and the funding, but doesn't want to come in and try and talk to that woman, right? Right. There's a place for everybody. And we are using gifts like research and data analysis. And I'm like, please let me read 400 pages of legal code. There's a certain person who is a, I say that and they go, that sounds amazing, (laughs) you know? And so we have been, talking to young people who have kind of felt a little bit like a misfit because their personalities aren't fit with the going out and the screaming, you know, holding signs or even just like this idea of sour counseling. It makes me so nervous. I do not think I would do well, but there are people who do so well. But you ask me to find a law that an abortion facility is violating. I'm on it. I'm on it. And so I think we're just providing a new place for young people who haven't quite found their footing yet, who are maybe attracted to the more behind-the-scenes stuff. So when I go speak, they get so excited. They said, please, how can I help? (laughs) That is wonderful. This really is a shout-out from the abortion industry that came out not too long ago from Guttmacher.org. And basically, they're talking about the policies that are in direct threat to Roe v. Wade. Of course, the Supreme Court takes up Mississippi abortion case. We're worried about these things. And there is a sense that they are becoming aware that they're on the wrong side now. For so long, Christians sitting in a church would say, oh, I give to Planned Parenthood. They're such a good organization. And I just want to scream, are you kidding me? All of their money comes from people who have abortions and end the life of a child. But this gives us the sense that the policy analysis is that things are beginning to go the wrong way for the abortion culture. And your part in it is so important, Missy. I really appreciate that. What I find so interesting about what I do is that regardless of where you stand on abortion, you can agree that, and this is an actual case, an 87-year-old abortionist who can barely communicate with really shaking hands 
probably shouldn't be doing surgical abortions. There's a level of common ground that I can find with people, (laughs) especially in this work, and say, these people are dangerous. And we can agree on them, at least on that. But on the national level, I have been going to, like I said before, the March for Life, Supreme Court protests. I mean, I was skipping school as a 17-year-old to take the train, with my parents' permission, to take the train up to D.C. to go to protest. And I have been around it for years and years and years. The last two times I was in D.C., it was for the dogs hearing for the case of the Supreme Court about the Mississippi law that bans abortion at 15 weeks, and then recently for the March for Life. At the Dobbs case, there were, you know, abortion advocates, and they had no energy. It was the quietest, smallest group I have ever seen at a Supreme Court hearing. And then we went to the March for Life this year, and it was the first time I have ever been to the March for Life, there were no protesters. Wow. Zero. And I was walking around going, what is going on? It felt bizarre. I have never seen no protesters at a March for Life. None. No efforts. Planned Parenthood would pay people to go to these rallies. No one was there. And they have just lost their energy, they've lost their drive because I think they know they're finally losing. The advancements in science, the fact that we can see the development of their preborn children so clearly, the access to help for pregnant mothers. I mean, there's just so many things that have changed in our culture. And I think they finally have realized that they're on the losing side. And it's reflecting in the way that they engage in policies. You're absolutely right. We are watching very aging people continue to push the fight for abortion. But the reality is, if the youth come in like you're bringing them in, the elderly don't have a chance because they don't have the stamina and they don't have desire. I'm so grateful for reaching out and getting the youth early, early on. I'm so proud of you, really. Missy, tell us a little bit about how you balanced your family, balanced your time. I know you're young. I understand that. That's a big difference. But <laughs> Yeah, well, thankfully, I married the best man, and he is so supportive. So at this point, we raise our daughter equally. You know, he spends just as much time with her as I do, and it allows the capacity to do the work that we love and also be really involved in our daughter's life. And so he is probably the main reason, the main way I balance is just to have an incredibly supportive husband, an incredibly supportive family. And I have a lot of lists and a lot of of, uh, tasks. I'm a very good task manager, a very good time manager, but it just really comes down to having that support system available to me. And they are just best friends. And so it makes it really easy to be able to work knowing that she is so well taken care of. I'm sure that it'll get more interesting as more children arrive. But <laughs> Missy, I have had a, such joy to be talking to you today. It, I feel excited. Good. 
hopeful, invested. (laughs) How can our listener help you shut down the abortion clinics just one at a time? How can they help you? Like I said, we work with local pro-life communities. So if you are a sidewalk counselor, if you work at a pregnancy center, the big thing for us is to get the information of what's going on. They are the ones that witness things, that hear the stories, that know the inner workings of what's happening at the abortion facility. So we are the official reporting group for Sidewalk Advocates for Life, the national group, as well as Silent No More Awareness and a number of pregnancy centers. But keeping your ears and your your eyes open for things that sound suspicious, for things that sound like they might be a violation, you can bring that to us, info at reprotection.org, and we will look into it. But if you're not in those positions, um, we're always looking for people to partner with us. Our investigations have exploded. We are all over the country. We have about 40 investigations going, and we need the support to be able to maintain that to take those calls. And we're looking for partners, people who can come alongside us and help support what we're doing. It's such a privilege to interview youth picking up the flaming torch to end abortion. It's been a delight to have you today. And our listener, I'm so glad you've been with us for this discussion with Missy Martinez-Stone. Three things you can do to help us all. Pray for the leaders stepping up in this next generation. Consider supporting the Pregnancy Center near you or the organizations we've shared today. And lastly, please go to our website, chooseliferadio.com, and make a tax-deductible gift there to support this ministry. We are getting the stories of life, and the work yet to be done is really important in terms of saving the unborn. I'm Jill Taylor, and I look forward to being with you next week on Choose Life Radio. The preceding program was sponsored by the Choose Life Radio Network of Canton, Ohio.